So we're going to be in Acts 15, which is on page 981. So if you need some help. But before we do that, let's, let's pray and thank God for his word. Hold it in your hands. If there's one near you, g- grab it. It's there in the seat. Hold it in your hands. You're the first people to crack these open. Right? So we want to do it prayerfully and thankfully. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Without it, we'd be lost. We wouldn't know who you are. We wouldn't know your heart for us. We wouldn't know what Jesus had done. So we thank you for preserving your word for thousands of years and for allowing it to be translated and put into English and and so that we can read it and understand it. But we know that it isn't just any other book and that the knowledge that we gain from it isn't like any other knowledge. It's from you. It's from your own heart, by your own spirit. So God, when we read it, help us to understand what your spirit is trying to teach us. Not just the words on the page, but what you want us to do with those words. How you want us to process those words. And to be changed by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's turn to page 981. The pages might stick together a little bit. It's so brand new. We are slowly working our way through God's word, but that's okay. God is asking us to be careful with his word and to go go slowly through it. Don't rush through it. Sometimes you rush through things and you miss the important part. And we don't want to miss any part of it. So what happens here in this exciting book of Acts is the birth of the church and then its movement out into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. They don't do it in their own strength. They don't do it by their own wisdom. They do it by the power of the Spirit. That's what Pentecost was all about in chapter 2. As they've been moving out, God has been doing amazing things, not only reaching through the synagogues to to those Jews who are ready to open up their hearts, but reaching beyond the synagogues to the Gentile world, which is the whole rest of the world. It was really just two groups of people in this biblical worldview. The Jews were God's chosen people through Abraham and through, through Moses and the history that we have through those. And then the Gentiles, the rest of the, the, anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. So we don't have like, you know, 52 nations or 300 nations or whatever that are mentioned here. We have Jews and Gentiles. And so God's word went forth through the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Remember that through the prophets, through their history and out into the world, like a mighty rushing river. So that's what we've been seeing as as he's sent Paul and Barnabas and others out with the message of the gospel and then confirmed it by the Spirit's presence in their lives. As people come to Christ and are filled with his Spirit and are made into new creatures in Christ. So there's been growth and there's been persecution. And there's been growth and there's been persecution. And that's the normal rhythm of the church. Growth and persecution. That's the normal rhythm of the church, even in the world today. There's growth, and then there's persecution. I believe that when there's persecution, our roots go deep down. 
Maybe on the top, things look rough, but our roots are growing during that time because we need God so desperately. When things get tough, you cry out to God. God, help me. Give me understanding. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. And so your roots, your spiritual roots go deeper. You may not see it on the surface right away, but over time, those deep roots, they will produce fruit on the surface for God. His kingdom will grow. So God knows what he's doing. He's like the farmer who prunes the, 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 the vine, right? It grows, it grows, it grows, and then he comes along and clip, 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 and clips off some of the stuff that looks real good, but he knows it's not fruitful growth, and so he prunes. I think persecution is that kind of work in the kingdom where they go forward and they see thousands of people come to Christ, and then next thing you know, Paul's being stoned and left for dead outside the city. You know, what is going on? It seems like, you know, chaotic. But God has a plan, and God's working out his plan. The trouble in the church was mostly outside the church, although there are inklings of a little bit inside, until we hit chapter 15. Chapter 15 is right in the middle of the book of Acts, it's an important chapter, central chapter to us, for us to understand. And so we're going to look into it in detail in a few moments. Before we do that, I want to tell you why I picked this title, Late to the Party, for the sermon this morning. Because the Jews in Jerusalem, who had experienced Jesus, some personally, had spent time with him, it's has witnessed the resurrection, had seen the ascension and seen the miracles, the Jews now had to deal with people that didn't see all that. Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's not physically manifesting on the earth in the physical form of Jesus of Nazareth. So all the people that came after them were a little bit late to the party. They didn't see it up close and personal. They weren't in the center of the world, Jerusalem, at that time. And so there was a little bit of a rift that was developing, a little problem. So I want us to remember God's word before we dive into this problem, because God solves it with the help of the Holy Spirit. He brings resolve, but... Let's remember God's word together. There's a few verses that I want us to just think about because God's word needs to be foundational in our understanding of the rest of his word. His word interprets his word. So let's look at a verse here. Now, I want to play a little game, so you fill in the blank. If you can fill it in, you speak right out loud. If not, you're going to learn, right? So John 4, 19 says this. We love because he first loved us. That's right. We love because he first loved us. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, free gift of God, I heard. Free gift of God is what? This is a hard one. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. Let's remember that. It's a gift. We didn't have to earn it. It's a free gift. I like that translation, whatever translation you learned it in. Free gift, just in case there were some gifts with strings attached. Right? Let's remember Romans 5, 8. But God proves his love, his own love for us, in that 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't have to clean up your act before you came to Christ. And if you think you did, that somehow you earned your salvation by being good enough, you're a fool. You're a fool. You could never be good enough to deserve the grace and the mercy and the love and the, the inheritance that God has for his children in Christ Jesus. And lastly, in our little game, not lastly for the sermon, John 13 Verses 34 and 35. This one's long, but I think you got it. I give you a new command. Love one another. Very good. All right, you got that part. Keep going, because the verse goes on. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Okay? See the theme here? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you... Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. If you repeat something enough times, your memory grabs hold of it. Once wasn't enough, twice wasn't enough, so three times had to be said. Love one another. So we've been focusing on receiving God's love, understanding God's love, because God's love is so amazing, or as the song says, marvelous, wonderful, right? Giving it to others seems to be a challenge for some reason. Receiving it is awesome. Giving it, not so awesome sometimes. Difficult, hard, a struggle. That's what we're seeing in Acts 15. The Jews in Jerusalem, they love to receive God's presence through the manifestation of Jesus Christ and now the, the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and, and just everything that God had poured out on them and is continuing to pour out. They're receiving that. But they're a little bit stingy on giving it out. We've got to remember that God's love is something that's called agape love. Basically, unconditional love. There are no strings attached. It is not a condition for you to earn God's love. God's love is the free gift that he gives to you through Jesus Christ. To understand unconditional love, it helps if we first understand conditional love, which is basically love that contains certain conditions or stipulations. I will love you if, I will love you if. See, too often as humans, we only understand how to love others based on what they have done to earn that love from us. We're willing to only give our love to get love in return. This is conditional human love. It's, it's, it's normal. It's what humans do, humans all over the world. You don't have to be a, a Christian to love like that. That's what we see examples of in movies and in love songs. Love with strings attached. Loves until, love until I get bored with you. Love until something better comes along. 
I'll love you if you live up to my expectations. I love you if you make me feel good. That's a real big one. You make me feel good. That's why I love you. Those are a type of love, but those are not agape love. Those are not God love, unconditional love. Now you're going to say, well, I'm not like that, Pastor Tom. I'm different than that. Let's just use an example. Let's say you're late to work. You are late to work, and there's usually a penalty for people who are late to work. They either get their, 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 their hourly wage cut a little bit, or they get a you know, tongue lashing from the, from the boss, from the management. But on this particular day that you're late to work, or late to school, you students, late to class, instead of the door being locked and you getting a detention, the professor or the boss is in a very good mood. And says, oh, come on in. It's okay. No worries. No penalty. Come on in. You love that. You love that kind of treatment. Unless you're the boss or the professor. And this person is late again and again and again. And, and your, your willingness to forgive and to, to let them off without any kind of punishment gets thinner and thinner and thinner until finally you're so fed up that you, you, you lay down the hammer. You know, you're just like, that's it, no more. You know, you're fired or out of my class, go see the principal. See, it's good when it's applied to us, but when it's applied to someone else, it's not so good. This kind of unconditional love. That's what we're seeing in Acts 15. In our passage today, there's trouble now in the church. There's trouble brewing. Some people are going around and saying, yeah, 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 you think you're saved, but you're not actually saved yet. There's a serious argument that's taking place. Look at verse 1 on page 981. Some men had come down from Judea. And they began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you keep the law. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in some serious argument and debate over this, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem, up to the apostles and the elders, and talk about this issue. Because this was a problem. Paul and Barnabas and the Christian church in Antioch and the missionary journeys, they had told people, you're saved. And now some guys had showed up who seemed rather important, and they said, guess what? You're not saved. Little bit of confusion in the early church. Are you saved or are you not saved? What do you have to do to be saved? Faith in Jesus Christ, belief in the story of the resurrection and the power of God for the forgiveness of sins, or do a few other things first. Clean yourself up a little bit first, and then you'll be acceptable to God. This 
problem had to be solved. Now there were two different stories going around in the church. And so they called together a council, which is like a big important meeting. Time for a big important meeting. Everybody important better show up because this is a big issue. So they took it seriously. This was a problem. Because God's love, from that perspective, required keeping the law of Moses first. And this presented a big problem for anybody who wasn't born and raised as a Jew. Because first of all, they might not even have known the law of Moses. And secondly, now cover your ears, those who are gentle. What adult male wants to be circumcised? This was a real problem. And it wasn't just about the circumcision. It was about the whole law of Moses. The purity laws and all of those things. These Jews had kept those laws to the best of their ability, even though we know they didn't do it perfectly. But they had striven their whole lives trying to keep the law and make sure they were doing the right things and keeping the Sabbath and, and staying pure and doing all of these things. And then they had come to Christ. And I think there was some confusion. I think somehow in that they felt that, well, because we were trying to be so good, Jesus came to us first. That's not actually why. God used Israel as an example to, to the whole world that you can't keep this law. You're going to break this law every time. So I'm going to bring someone who can to do it for you so you no longer are under the burden of the law, the guilt and the shame of the law. You are no longer condemned because you can't keep the law. So they, the, these, these people are now confused. You see... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved, was their message. But God has been on the move doing amazing things in the Gentile world. And the Holy Spirit has saved thousands of people through the preaching of the free gift of God. By grace alone, faith in Christ alone will get you saved. Revival had broken out over that message. Thousands had come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they weren't Jewish. They had had their sins forgiven. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Miracles had taken place, signs and wonders, to prove that God was on the move. They had been adopted into God's family as his sons and his daughters, and they were celebrating this. Now, from that perspective, it doesn't sound like there's a problem in the church. Now, does it? There was rejoicing. It says, actually, in verse 3 of, of chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas were sent on their way to Jerusalem by the church, they passed through some other cities that they had already visited, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and the sisters as they described the fact that people were coming to Christ. People were being saved. People were being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The brothers and sisters in Christ, in other words, the church, rejoiced in that. This brought great joy, as it should. However, there was still this nagging problem. Some who didn't like what they were seeing. 
There's always some people who don't like what they're seeing, isn't there? In every crowd, there's someone. Every, 99% of the people are happy, but there's one person like, wait a minute. Don't you remember? Da, 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 you know, that's who these people were. Now, I want you to think about the words of Jesus because he is our guide to know what God is like. We can't even look at brothers and sisters in Christ because we've all been tainted by sin. We all have our opinions and our attitudes. We all have the things that are stuck to us that we're working our way through as we're being sanctified. But but there's still stuff in us. So we got to go back to Jesus. He is the focal point. He is the one that we are to focus our lives on. And so Jesus tells this awesome story, which I hope you are familiar with. It's known as the prodigal son story. He tells it in Luke chapter 15. It's most of the chapter. We're not going to have time to read it. So we want to have a baptism here in a moment. But in it, do you remember? It was a great story. You know, the, the son, he, he comes, he says, hey, dad, before you croak, I want my money so I can go and enjoy my life. You know, and he goes off and he enjoys his life, Woo! according to the world standards, right? He blows all the money. He ends up poor and he's feeding pigs in a pig pen. He actually has to eat their food because he's starving to death because there's a famine in the land. And the whole time, the father just keeps looking for him, hoping he'll return. And then one day, it says he came to his right mind. Like, like he was in his wrong mind for a long time. He came to his right mind and he remembered something about his father. In my father's house, even the servants are fed and are cared for. I'd rather go back there than die here in this pig pen. And so he, he trudges back, his head down, you know, he feels so guilty. And when his father sees him, his father says, I knew it. I knew you'd come crawling back to me, you miserable child. Get in the kitchen and wash the dishes. That's not how it goes, in case you're not familiar with the story. When the father sees him, he erupts with love and joy, and he runs to his son, and he kisses his son on the neck, and he says to the servants, bring him a robe, the best robe. Bring him sandals for his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to party. He was once dead, but now he's alive. Hallelujah. Let's just shower him with love. And there's an older brother in the story who comes in. He hears the noise out in the field. He comes in. What the heck is going on at home? It sounds like a party. And it is a party. And he says to somebody, what's going on? Oh, your younger brother, that miserable scoundrel who stole your father's money and went and wasted it all. He's back. And your father's throwing him a party. The brother is not happy. This man, this painting of this man is, you know. What the heck is going on? I've been here faithfully serving you day and night. I haven't asked for a penny. And you're celebrating? You killed the fatted calf? The Jews in Jerusalem were a little annoyed that the gospel was so free, that the Love of God was so lavish. It was so amazing. He poured out his love on sinners while they were still sinners. Christ died for them. Not once they got straightened up, once they learned all the rules, once they went to their discipleship training and they they passed their test. 
No. Not that disciple training is bad. Don't get upset. It's good. But let's do it after. Let's do it after the party. After the party, let's get down and dirty with the word of God and learn the word of God, right? But in the meantime, you are accepted because of what Christ has done for you. Praise the Lord. There's another parable. I don't have time for it. I want you to read it, though. It's awesome. It's the parable of the workers. It's another example of Jesus saying, see these guys that were hired in the morning and worked all day? And then these guys that were hired almost at the end of the day and and worked for like five minutes? I'm going to pay you all the same. And the the, the older ones, the ones that worked all day were like, wait a minute. You can't pay them the same amount of money. They only worked five minutes. We've been here all day. And do you remember what do you remember what he says in the story? Again, this is Jesus telling the story. It's awesome. It's awesome. You can just turn to it real quick because we have these Bibles. 874. Come on, let me hear the pages. I want to hear that that lovely sound again. Love it. 874. It's it's just so awesome. Because they're upset. They're upset. So they come to him. It's uh, verse probably 12. These last men, they only put in one hour, and you made them equal to us. You made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the whole day's work and the burning heat. And this is how he replies. Again, these are Jesus' stories that helped illustrate how we are sometimes as humans. We want everything to be fair according to our fairness. And so Jesus says, and this is how he replied, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree to work, to work with me on a denarius, an amount of money? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same that I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? This is what's happening in Acts chapter 15. The Jews who had tried to be good Jewish worshipers and keep the law and do the the fasting and the festivals and learn the Torah, they were jealous because God is so generous. We got to learn from this and from the words of Jesus how generous God is. Because the message of the good news of Jesus Christ depends on your understanding that. If you're waiting for the sinners around you to straighten up and get their life together so they can come to Christ, you got it backwards. They come to Christ out of the kindness of God. That's what leads them to repentance. The generosity of God, that's what wants, that puts in them a desire to want to worship him and love him. Not the other way around. So you got it? Good. <laughs> 